Jillian Pensavalli. Hey, Patrick Hines. Um, girl, what are we talking about today? Girl, we're talking about Cropsy. God, I mean, it, this, uh, <laughs> I can't. The, the listener pick for going back since like our first episode. So I'm glad that we're doing it. But yeah. God, you guys, it's a tough watch. It's really hard. Yeah. There's some moments of levity. Well, it does take place on Staten Island. So the accents are there. Yeah. We'll say that. They are um, there. Growing up on Staten Island, Barbara and I had often heard the legend of Cropsy. You're supposed to have a hook and an axe with a knife about this big. Cropsy was the escaped mental patient who lived in the tunnels beneath the old abandoned Willowbrook Mental Institution, who would come out late at night, snatch children off the streets. I have never, I would have never guessed there were the, the amount of weirdos living on Staten Island. There might be somebody on your block. It might be somebody you work with. You know, here's this guy going around picking off these kids. I can imagine how other parents, even if your kid's gone for an hour, I can imagine how they must feel. You know, that's probably the, one of the last things that you ever think about, that somebody would take your daughter. It seemed like everywhere I went, there were people out in the woods looking for that little girl. It's no question if we were going to find her. We definitely were going to find her. She thinks we're picking at dead children's bones. We just want closure on this, that's all. What was that? I heard something. Look down there. Look down there. It's scary because we have a boogeyman living on Staten Island all those years. That image forced a lot of people to say, that is the killer. There's no reason for him to exist anywhere else, you know, other than jail. We had the same questions that you're asking me. Why did he do this? What set him off? It's sort of like putting a puzzle together. You know, he likes to be the center of attention, the keeper of the secrets. So I think it'd be great if you could speak for your own. What if we just do audio? safety, I will not go on. Do you think they're all around us? Yeah. <sighs> oh my God. I think he's possessed. I really think that he is demonized and possessed. All right, well, okay, right at, right at the jump. All right. We learned some things about Staten Island. Yeah, so <laughs> Staten Island is a borough of New York City. Sure is. Um, a little bit of the forgotten borough, I guess we could say. You have to take a ferry to get there. Yeah, and honestly, before 1964, before they built the Verrazano Bridge, it was just like a landfill and a yeah. forest. Fresh, Which was news to me. Fresh Kills Landfill. Is that what it's called? Yeah, you can see it from space. It's gigantic. <laughs> I know. That's actually funny. So of course, like like every good documentary, they just go around town asking people to talk about stuff. Yeah, we open with the locals, which is like, all right, I'm in. It was the least populated, most heavily wooded borough. From what I understand, like this is a big dumping ground for mob bodies. Someone needs to be disposed of it's like let's bring him to staten island yeah so we they the thing is that this is made by two staten islanders yeah. who grew up with the legend this urban legend of cropsy they knew this story and then they got old enough and they were like let's find out like they weren't just yeah. kids anymore let's make a documentary and find out the real thing about cropsy do you want to tell the people like the legend that these kids grew up with yeah so the legend of cropsy is um he was an escaped mental patient who lived under the willowbrook mental institution which when it was open was the worst place ever yeah one of the biggest institutions in the country yeah. actually it had like thirteen thousand people and after it got shut down apparently there was this underground 
neighborhood kind of where a lot of people stayed there because they didn't know any better or they yeah, didn't a lot have of like, any place the patients would came back or or and, and people like did live in the woods around it was mm-hmm. like a little community yeah and of, like scary weirdos i know don't go trick-or-treating there you guys don't in Not the woods kind of like come on um and then <laughs> Yeah, and so he would, like, go around snatching kids. And, and like, some people were like, oh, he had an axe, or some people thought or he had a hook. hook. Or a hand. Yeah, <laughs> no matter who you, like, no matter, it's, like, different dialects of language. It's, like, no matter what part of the of Staten Island you live on, it's, like, he had a yeah. hook or an axe. or But either way, he stole, he kidnapped kids and chopped them up. That, right. that was the story. Yeah. First learned about Cropsy in, in summer camp. He was a, he was a, a doctor. He was supposed to have a hook. With a knife about this big. And he was an axe-wielding. Madman. The wife was killed. He was being chased or taunted. He wanted kids, and he would find them, and he would pack you up, chop them up. So right away, like one of the first things we learn is that there's like was a famous expose about this mental institution. Yeah. Conducted by everybody's favorite nosebreaker, Geraldo Rivera. <laughs> That's the worst impression of him ever, but. The thing about the thing about the Geraldo Rivera, so they show some of the tape, of course. <sighs> but my favorite thing is that Geraldo, how was Geraldo summoned to do this? He like jumps out of the bushes. Yeah. <laughs> because he was invited by one of the doctors who was like, it's so bad here. You should just like come see how bad it is. So he's like unannounced and uninvited. I know. And he literally walks out of the bushes. Yeah. Like Geraldo. <laughs> <laughs> right. The doctor invited me to see the conditions he was talking about, so unannounced and unexpected by the school administration, we toured building number six. The doctor had warned me that it would be bad. It was horrible. Geraldo, (laughs) you don't, here's the thing. I'm not saying call the press office, but like settle down. Settle down. And the thing is like, it's, this footage is the stuff of nightmares. It it's is. horrifying. Yeah. It was, it, this was really happening. This is not exaggerated no, at all. Yeah. So it's like, you don't have to, <laughs> right. exa- it's bad enough. Like, say. it's bad enough, yeah, Geraldo. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to like, really add the like, news reporter voice to everything. Like, we get it. Totally. It's a nightmare. <laughs> if you've seen the documentary, you know uh, it's the thing that just like, lives with you. There's like, forever. kids like, lying in their own feces. I mean, there's like, seems like there's no lights in there. The kids are just like, lying. Yeah, and like, like the, it is literally American Horror Story. Like, it's like, scenes out of America. I feel like, some scenes in American Horror Story were inspired by this. I'm absolutely sure it was. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's the stuff of nightmares. It's, it's terrible. terrible. There was one attendant for perhaps 50 severely and profoundly retarded children. Lying on the floor naked and smeared with their own feces, they were making a pitiful sound. A kind of mournful wail that it's impossible for me to forget. This is what it looked like. This is what it sounded like. But how can I tell you about the way it smelled? It smelled of filth, it smelled of disease, and it smelled of death. So it really was that bad, and it, and it got shut down. And this is where we hear that they believed that some of the patients returned to Willowbrook to live there because it was the only thing they knew. Many patients were transferred to group homes, but others were left to fend for themselves. There were those who believed that some patients, out of confusion and habit, returned to the 365 acres of Willowbrook to roam the abandoned buildings and leaving the tunnel system that lay underneath. Yeah, and the thing is, this expose came out in 1972. Willowbrook didn't get shut down until 1987. I can't even talk about how horrible that is. Yeah. What the and- hell was everybody doing for all those years? <laughs> so it kind of it cuts to July 1987, and this is where we find out about the case of Jennifer Schwager. She's a, a 12-year-old girl with Down syndrome who goes missing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
You're watching Channel 7 Eyewitness News. Hi, guys. Listen, we need all the help we can to help find Jennifer. The relentless search for a 12-year-old girl with Down syndrome continues today as it has for the last three weeks with the hope that this will be the day they find Jennifer Schweiger. And this is where it starts to, people start to realize this cropsy thing maybe isn't an urban legend. And it's kind of crazy. I mean, like you see the pictures of this little girl and she's just so cute. And then the community just like rallied and everybody went, you know, it was, everyone was looking for her. They were organizing search parties. And the leader of the pack, uh, the Gemma and Abby of her time. Donna Catunio. (laughs) Who is like, oh, don't worry, I'll find her. Like. Today we're concentrating on Willowbrook Park. Uh, the police went in there yesterday and we're just continuing where the police left off. When you're looking, make sure you look down on the ground, look up in the tree. Anything you find, the police can get a lot of information. Donna tells us, she reinforces the idea that people were living in the woods near this insane asylum. And who's one of the people who lived there? Andre Rand. Yeah. So there was a whole underground of people that still lived here even though all the buildings were closed and Andre Rand was definitely one of them. Andre Rand worked as an orderly at the Willowbrook State School from 1966 to 1968. For years he lived in numerous makeshift campsites in the woods surrounding Willowbrook. He was also the lead suspect in the Jennifer Schweiger case. So and then once we are introduced to Andre Rand we're also introduced to the local police. <laughs> Ralph Aquino and Bobby Jensen, who are hanging out on the porch, just talking about how fucked up this whole thing is. Yeah, you guys have seen the Muppets, right? You know those like two old men <laughs> who sit in the balcony. That's these guys. Yeah. All right, talk talk to me about them. So it turns out that there were witnesses that saw uh, Jennifer Schweiger and Andre Rand together, like walking down the street. Yeah, and Rand had what one of the cops called a female green bike with a basket. <laughs> Also known as how I learned to ride a bike. There was two witnesses that stated that they saw her walking along the street with a middle-aged gentleman. And he had a female green bike with a basket on front. So it's this female green bike with the basket. With the basket. And there's kind of like, how do you miss these two? Right. I'm, really, I mean, like Andre Rand and with the little girl and the bike and the bat. It's kind of like... Yeah. Like, what is, what's happening here? What's ha- of course, yeah. well, but why say anything? <laughs> uh, so then one of them says that a week before uh, Jennifer went missing, yeah. they saw Andre Rand at a shop right buying baby food <laughs> and then getting on the bike. I wish you guys could see Jillian's face sometimes when she's reading these things. Baby food. I know. I know. So so then the the, the description came in of yeah. the bike and he's like, that's him. I just saw him at shop right buying the baby food. That's him. That's the bike. He purchased baby food. And he got on a green female bike with a basket on the front. At that point, bang, I said, it's Andre. I saw him last week. The idea is that Jennifer's still alive, is that he's kept her alive and he's like keeping her somewhere. So they surveil him for a week. No sign of Jennifer. They arrest him. And then it's panic because if she is still alive and they and now they've taken away her like temporary caregiver, where is she? Of course, when we had him for the 26 hours, where was she? Did he leave her with somebody else? With Rand's arrest, the search for Jennifer turned desperate. Rumors were spreading that someone, maybe even one of Rand's friends, was hiding Jennifer and moving her late at night through the tunnels underneath Willowbrook. But we also learn that in 1969, Rand pled guilty to sexual misconduct with a nine-year-old. Right. 
But he denied it also. Right. <laughs> he pled guilty, but then denied it. Right. Yeah. So the second grossest part of this movie is his perp walk. I've never seen a perp walk like that. Watching him coming out, looking like he had lost his mind, it further angered people in the community. That image forced a lot of people to say, that is the killer. That is That man is not right. Look at him there, drooling and... It certainly caused me to ask a lot of questions. Who is Andre Rand? Did they get a crazy man and, and just say he's the guy? Or did they really have good evidence against him that would stick in a court? He does like crazy Jillian eyes when they're like pulling him out. Ouch. <laughs> and then they like, the, he's like drooling on himself. Mm-hmm. And all of this, because all of these pictures make the papers. What happens is like he's 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 vilified and he's convicted before any trial even happens because he looks disgusting and he looks like the kind of guy that would kill a kid. Yeah. And also all the headlines are kind of straight out of Kitty Genovese like madman murders child. Exactly. And, it's like- and this is where Donna and her team like go back and they find Jennifer's body. So now we know that she's actually dead. Yes. Which is awful. It's horrible. One gentleman came across an area uh, that he noticed had clay balls up on top, like someone patted down, and then this was all, you know, pushed back over with the trees. It was just a little spot that he noticed the clay balls, and that's what made us go back, or made him go, insist that we go back. Smell as soon as you start digging. When her body was found, it was 150 yards away from his campsite, but there was no real physical evidence, which you know is a problem for me. Yeah, I have a big, actually, I have that in all caps and in purple bold. And all the eyewitness testimony, I mean, that's super unreliable. So he was just convicted of kidnapping. The murder charge was dismissed and he was sentenced to 25 to life, eligible for parole in 2008. Right. So that's where he, we'll leave him there for a minute. Yeah. Okay, so at this point we get um, an update from two favorite local news people. Roma Tori, who I'm obsessed with. Obsessed. Um, please see the outtakes. <laughs> and Sue Simmons, who I'm also obsessed with. Please see the outtakes. Please see the outtakes. And we love New York One. And this <laughs> whole thing is just a super local. It's so local. Yeah, it's the greatest. Andre Rand scared a generation of parents and children on Staten Island. Convicted in the disappearance of one child in the 1980s, he is once again on trial for kidnapping. So then we learn that after 17 years in prison, Andre Rand is on trial for the kidnapping of Holly Ann Hughes. Right. And now we get into the Holly Ann Hughes story. Right, right, right. Exactly. So she went missing on July 15th, 1981. Of course, outgoing, friendly, adorable. Mm-hmm. Her father gets these strange phone calls from people saying that they know where she is, which must be... I can't even imagine what that would feel like. All that happens when a kid goes missing is the parents are tortured for the rest of their lives. Right. I was getting very strange phone calls from anonymous people that they knew where Holly Ann was. Just crazy things, you know, things that, you know, unbelievable things. So then we also meet, can we talk real quick about John O'Brien from the Staten Island Advance who's just <laughs> eating on the street? Oh, he's like eating a hot dog. On the I street. Know, I know. <laughs> and he's like, here's this guy, allegedly. <laughs> Chomp, 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 chomp. And it's like, John, run a comb through your hair and put the burger down. You're, on th- you're being recorded. Cases like this never go away. It's like a uh, the whole community was just thrown into chaos over this. You know, here's this guy, allegedly, going around picking off these kids. I mean, there are all these rumors that fly about the island about this guy. And the media, you know, have painted him as an absolute fucking monster and he may very well be 
I couldn't believe just with a mouthful of food <laughs> talking about, can you have some respect for the missing children and the person who you think maybe isn't guilty? Like, can you right. just put the yeah. food down? No, like, I it's couldn't so agree more. rude. And then he drops the bomb. No physical or scientific evidence. It's all circumstantial. There's no physical or scientific evidence that I know of in this case. There's no body. They haven't found her. It's all circumstantial. Right. And that's and there that never changes, by the way. It doesn't. I have a lot of trouble with it. I know. There's no physical evidence. I, I, I don't know. There are things, though, that while they may be circumstantial, Andre Rand is always around these missing children. That is very true. So this Holly Ann Hughes that's gone missing, we find out that that Andre's aunt lived in the same building as Holly Ann Hughes. So this building is where Holly Ann Hughes used to live. Andre Rand's and used to live on the second floor of that building as well. Yeah, and he was always kind of lurking, yeah. and this is a trend with him. But there's a really interesting... So the story of her disappearance is that she's playing outside. Andre Rand happened to be in the building visiting his aunt. All of a sudden, he like takes off in his car, and she goes down the block to buy soap, and she's five cents short. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like... That the last person who ever sees her alive, by the way, what is his name? Jimmy. <laughs> Staten Island Jimmy. I love this guy. Holly was last seen at this deli just down the street from her home. A clerk says she came in at 9.30 Wednesday night with 27 cents and bought a bar of soap. She's a quiet girl, you know? She didn't say nothing to nobody. And she just got a thing and left. I really don't know what happened after that. I love him. He hasn't changed a bit since 1981. <laughs> hasn't changed one bit. I worked in the deli there. Girl comes in. Who, Holly Ann came Holly, yeah, yeah. She came in. When was this back? This was in 1981. 1981. She went to buy a bar of soap, and the bar of soap was $0.31. Cents. Why do I remember? Because she was short. Four cents. And the old man working behind the counter, he wouldn't let that. He wouldn't give it to her. That's why I remember. It's like the old man wouldn't wouldn't <laughs> let her go. It is a nickel. She's a kid. Right. And I'm like, I signed with Jimmy on that one. Would you I just give her the freaking too. soap? It's a it's four cents. But then we learned about Elsie Castro, who and her story of that night is that she went to buy soap right. and that she was five cents short. She lived across the street from where Holly Ann lived. She goes into the house, she goes to take a shower and discovers that there's no soap. But she claims she bought a bar of soap at the store and was five cents short. It's very coincidental that she was a nickel short when Holly Ann was reportedly a nickel short as well, or within the time span of about an hour. So do you think the other witness misremembered? I don't know. And what that says, if I don't know and the jury doesn't know, that's a reasonable doubt. The Elsie Castro thing gave me a lot of pause. It just goes to show that there wasn't a whole lot of investigation done. It was just kind mm. of like, this was the guy... They decided he was creepy looking and that he acted weird. Yeah. There's no evidence, but he did it. Well, then Jimmy tells us about, because the documentarians are like, do you know about Hank Aforio? And Jimmy's like, yeah, he looked like Mick Jagger. <laughs> and did anybody else ever disappear from that neighborhood? Yo, Hank Aforio looked just like Mick Jagger disappeared from that neighborhood. How long afterwards? Same time. So Hank Aforio, just to remind you, is another one of the kids that went missing. He was the 21-year-old that had the IQ of a 15-year-old. Yeah, and he's in, like, press conference footage. It's creepy. It's insane. Yeah, because when they were doing the, the press conference about... Holly Ann Hughes, you can see Frank over the shoulder of the reporter. Like right there. And nobody noticed it until the documentarians are like, oh, did you see this, by the way? They, Hank is they, right there. Yeah. They show it to the, the cops. Yeah. And they're like, oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, we didn't shit. see it. We missed that. Yeah. And witnesses saw Hank at the diner with Andre. He was supposedly at the diner like 3, 4 o'clock in the morning with Rand. A handful of people came forward. A handful. 
painful. But what do you always say about when eyewitness accounts? Oh, they can't be trusted. Unreliable. Yeah. You know? It's, but people, it, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a lot. And now it's so many years ago. And they also say a lot of these witnesses were like addicts and alcoholics, which is not a bad, I'm not judging no, that. But listen, like you cannot reliably trust the memory of an alcoholic from 20 years ago. You just, you cannot. You can't that. trust the sharpest memory right. from 20 years exactly. ago. So then it's like all these people come out and, you know, they've gone through their recovery or not or whatever. And then they're like, oh no, but I remember exactly. Well. As we're seeing the Holly Ann Hughes trial taking shape, we're seeing the, the documentarians, Barbara and. Joshua. Joshua. Trying to get an interview with Andre Rand. Mm-hmm. And he starts sending them letters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he sent us, I think, I guess the view from his window. What do you have to talk talk about the letters? The third person. <laughs> I can't. The court here is continuously quoting the detective's own invented statements. The defendant never met or saw Hughes at any time, nor did the defendant admit these things. If you look at the letters, they're like doodled on and they're very beautiful handwriting, beautiful handwriting. But they're like it looks like something like a seventh grader would write to like their crush. Yeah, like Joshua answered the phone and then Joshua was like in different capital letters and underlined. And, underlined, and, and there's like a box around yeah. it. Yeah, it was really very creepy. And look, you got nothing but time in jail. But so that's creepy. They're trying to assist. He doesn't want to do an interview with them. He's being advised by his counsel not to do an interview with them. Mm-hmm. And probably rightfully so. He His thinking is that any media attention is A, going to make it so that his the people who he's in jail with know what he's been accused of uh-huh. and will probably kill him. Uh-huh. And B, any media attention is bad for him because he's just always going to be perceived as the creep. Right. It doesn't help that the documentary also tells us that he shared cell blocks, cell blocks with David Berkowitz, the son of Sam. Yeah. And uh, Joel Steinberg, a convicted child killer. Yeah. Oh, so now we meet Detective Frank Sayez. This guy... What do this you- guy takes several seats. Okay. So... We'll get into this a little bit more, but this guy's got a lot of theories about cults. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of theories that Andre was like passing the kids around to his friends, that he was digging up dead bodies and having sex with them. I think that he was passing the children around to his friends who were just as sick as him. The thing that Andre used to do is used to dig up dead bodies in a cemetery and uh, have sex with these, these, these bodies. I'm not saying any of this didn't happen. I'm just saying, like, show me the receipts. You know what I mean? it's a little irresponsible to be just saying, you know, like, like with the news, like, I can't report any facts, but here's what we're all speculating. (laughs) So when Barbara and Josh are unable to, like, get an interview with Andre, what do they do? So then they just start going local. They just try, they're trying to find people who knew him or had any contact with him. Yeah. And then we all meet Thomas <laughs> Jenkins. I was around six, seven years old, and we was all outside playing at the YMCA. And what happened? Some guy pulls up in, in a, a van bus. or bus <laughs> and asks all the children if they want to go to the park. He had a bus right here. It was parked right here at the time. I'll never forget it. We all hopped on the bus. We didn't know no better. We're little kids, you know? Yeah. And all of the children say yes. And get in the bus and end up at Newark Airport. We all hopped on the bus. We didn't know no better. We're little kids, you know? Yeah. He said he was just going to take us to the park. We wound up in Newark Airport. And then for whatever reason, Andre Rand is like, I don't feel like being at the airport. And then turns around and drives them into the woods 
and it's in the middle of the night. And Thomas is like, I think it was Willowbrook Woods. Like, okay, the mental institution. And then they're like just playing in the middle of the night. And then he's like, we were kidnapped and didn't even know it. So then after that, he took us somewhere in some park, which it was pitch black. I think it was Willowbrook Park at the time. Pitch black. We're all running around playing hide and seek and everything. Come to find out, we was being kidnapped and we didn't even have a clue what was going on. Can you imagine being Andre Rand, thinking that like one or two kids are going to fall for this? All of a sudden you've got like 14 kids Yeah, You guys, for future reference, going into a van with a stranger and ending up in the woods is the definition of kidnapping. In case anyone was confused, if it happens to you, if you're in a van with a stranger driving to an undisclosed location and it's the woods in the middle of the night, that's the definition of kidnapping, is it not? No, no. And it's just like, oh my God. You know, it always strikes me in these in these documentaries that these kids that are kidnapped in these from like the 70s they're all like 12 and 13 years old Mm -hmm. no way would they be able to do that now no way no way but like it just it's remarkable to me that these like 12 and 13 like thomas jenkins don't look at me like i'm an idiot for thinking like wow why did you get on a bus with this weirdo yeah i i know it's crazy and it's just like oh kids were so freaking pure and like of course of right. course they were like oh sure and if it's like a group of them right it's this like little kid mob mentality it's like well if everyone's going on the bus i'm not going to be the only idiot left at the ymca and to their credit he's like well i can't murder all of them yeah what was with the airport though i'm so confused they go they go to jersey they end up in newark airport and then he just makes a u-turn and dumps them all in the woods like i don't understand and i also don't know like how they got home I know. How did they go from the woods in the middle of the night to like being safe and sound and like well-established humans? Like, I I just don't understand. My first guess is that these kids' parents weren't super attentive. Well. What was the like being on your cell phone at the park while your kids are playing equivalent for 1982? Yeah. Chain smoking and reading (laughs) magazines. I don't know. So we now we're meeting other people who like knew Andre as like a. Oh, (laughs) man. All right, first person he tracks down is a house painter named... Thomas Mickle. He's got a holler at him on a roof. Yep. Excuse me. You guys know some Thomas Mickle? That's me. Uh, oh, hey. But Mickle comes down and he's got some shit to say. He's not having it. No. <laughs> Andre Rand, according to him, was framed. Yep. And... Well, because there is... And this is something that one of the filmmakers brings up at least once, is the idea that, that Jennifer Schwager, the first little girl that we meet that went missing, that her body had been moved. They say that he was totally framed for that, that they combed that area like with a fine-tooth comb. After they arrested Andre Rand, they, they combed the it again, and now, and, and now her body's there very easily to be found. So you know what? I would think that maybe he didn't do it either. Maybe Somebody who did do it, move the body there to frame him. And that is a, an idea that is floated throughout, that she mm-hmm. was killed somewhere else. The police knew where the body was. And in order to frame this guy, they moved her body to where they knew he was living. Right. House painter thinks this is what, like, ding, 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 ding. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> then we meet Bob Graham. Bob Graham should be super dilfy. Like, think if John Slattery had, like, kind of a creepy serial killer, like, like older brother he's got like silver hair he should be like a handsome older man but instead he like this this human clearly does not have a soul no like there's not no soul at all. in there yeah no i don't think that we know that he's done anything i don't know that we can <laughs> pin a murder on him but like this guy does not have a soul tell us everything about super creepy bob graham as i have him in my notes oh well first of all uh he was a suspect in jennifer's <laughs> oh, right. disappearance right so let's start there let's just start right there <laughs> 
which he sort of like is sort of glossed over. Yeah. But I think that's important. Yet he's just like he is very in the Andre Rand was framed camp. Yeah, totally. And very, uh, you know, as much as uh, Detective Frank is all about the cults and like that kind of conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. We have Bob Graham on the other the other side of the coin <laughs> with his conspiracy theory about right. the framing. One time I was invited to the precinct to talk to them as they recorded me. And they start telling me about devil worshipping on Staten Island. And that maybe he was a part of this cult. And I didn't believe it. What did they think was going on? That maybe some of these devil worshippers had something to do with the kids vanishing. You can paint parallels to anything. I mean, two things. This guy, super creepy Bob Graham, does not blink. Does not blink one time. No, no, no. And he does a lot of leaning. He's yes. like very intense. And he has this one sort of effective moment where they, ha they have this picture of Andre Rand that's super creepy. Yeah. But he's like, look at this picture. I can take a picture of anybody okay and i could say this man is a mass murderer and they say, yeah i can tell i can tell i could say this man rescued six people from a burning building i can tell he's a good man and it's like he he's a murderer he murdered all these children and you look at the picture and go, yeah. But then if I show you the same picture, I'm like, that man rescued six people from a burning building. He's a hero. You'd say, yes, Bob. <laughs> I will say he looks out of breath. And I would say that saving people from a building and murdering kids would be exhausting in equal measure. It does not. I would not agree. I'd be like, that guy saved six children from a burning <laughs> right. building. That yeah. I would just not believe it. Yeah, so, Bob, yeah, yeah. enough. <laughs> Use Again, another example. An interview in a diner. And I know that's Staten Island for yeah. you. But what Bob, what Bob also says, and this is true, that there were a lot of people living under Willowbrook. So he basically, they show us a map that there was like an underground, like they call it a city below a city. Mm -hmm. So it was like a series of tunnels and it makes sense. Like it's cold. Like if you're a nurse or a doctor and back during the time that this was like, you wouldn't want to go outside to have to travel between buildings. Like there's a whole series of tunnels and like yeah people lived down there and i heard things about the tunnel network under willowbrook state school it was set up like a hub with spokes and you could get say from the cafeteria out to every ward and could survive down there because he had worked there at one time so were there other people living in the woods there's a lot of them out here not just him there's a lot of them out here and the documentary people go down there and there's like clothes like uh -huh. fresh clothes and areas that have been swept clean it looks like people are still living down that there people are still living there down are there. cassette tapes yeah it's really 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 creepy yeah look all these have these holes in it and they're all really clean for people to live in look at that floor that floor has been totally wiped clean okay so now we're back at the holly ann hughes kidnapping trial and who do we meet tanya goodson who is 100 percent full of shit <laughs> Totally full of shit. Her Tanya Goodson story is insane. And She's also like, false. I knew all of the girls. Janelle, Letitia. Like, she gets all of the names wrong. Yeah, and then they correct her, and she's like, uh-huh, yeah, mm -hmm. that one. That's what I meant. Yeah, I knew a bunch of them that he had kidnapped. Did you know Hank Aforia? That one I didn't know. I knew Letitia. Jackie. And they're like, uh, she's like, I saw Andre pull her into, into the car, but she's like, but he was wearing a full mask. I didn't see his face. And she's like very, very like pointed that his whole face was covered. So when you said when you took Helly in, he was wearing a mask, tell me about that. The mask, I don't remember. All I know is his face was covered. I couldn't see his face. So it might not have been a mask, just like maybe his head pulled down or... No, his whole face was covered. 
but she heard him say, do you want some candy and come into my van? Right. It's like she Googled, what do people say to kidnap kids? <laughs> right. I want to be on television. And she was also six when this happened. Right, 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 right. And right. now she's, whatever, present day in 2009, whenever this movie came out. And she has the most insane South Boston hair, hairdo. I know. That's, the hairdo is Is that crazy. South Boston? Very South is Boston. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they said to her, so his face was fully covered by a mask. Was that scary or creepy? Nah. No. <laughs> I was just a six-year-old watching another child be kidnapped, and I didn't say a word. And then she's like, I just really wanted, I just really want to say it, and now I feel great about it. Yeah. <laughs> I came here to do what I got to do, and I feel a whole lot better now. And it's like, but everything you said is bullshit. What are totally. you talking about? Totally. No physical evidence. And now we get into the idea of cults. Oh, my God. Thanks to an anonymous letter. Yeah. From Veronica Lucan, who like has her own super like crazy Christian thing and she's against the cults. Yeah. So she is writing all these letters and saying all these things anonymously about how Andre Rand was taking children to be used in the cults. Take that however you want. So basically this group right on over here, you know, they wrote these letters from 10487, which is a couple months after Jennifer disappeared thought I'd write you this note to try and enlighten you at the same time reassure you about the crimes that are being committed on the island. Well, I did a little checking on the recent disappearances or murders of these kids, and it looks like some of them were victims of what is called a satanic black mass. Andre Rank did not kill Jennifer. All he did was bring her to the coven. Too bad that they covered it up, but who wants to admit that Staten Island is literally going to hell? It is a picnic ground for them. There are bodies buried that will never be found. In a super creepy, like, holy hell kind of way, they track down this, like, cult or this, like, religious meeting that's happening in the in the park in Queens, like, in the in the state fairground. So I think it'd be great if you could speak for your what organization. What if we just do audio? safety, I will not go on. Okay. Because you're worried about them. I'm worried about the satanic priest. Veronica was on a hit list. How anonymous can you be in the park with a <laughs> megaphone? It was so creepy crazy. I know. You it's could, like, hear so them chanting bizarre. in the background. Yeah. And it's like, no, Veronica had a vision that she was going to be stabbed. Right. And then the documentarian's like, do you really believe that happens? And they're like, oh, yeah, of course, yes. Can you give me like a summation of what she said back then? Veronica had visions of um, human sacrifices on a table and uh, these satanic high priests sticking knives in them. Do you believe it actually goes on? Yeah, definitely. So then, like, to be super dramatic, the the documentary makers go to the place in the woods Right. Where, they, where they're where they told that, like, these cults gather to sacrifice children. And they go at, like, 2 in the morning. Basically, this is the area known as the farm colony. And this is where uh, they said a lot of devil worshipping and stuff was going on. And, of course, Barbara is not having it. Barbara, you want to go inside? Let's go inside. No, I'm not going inside. So we're not going to see anything if we don't go inside. I'm not. We, I'm not going inside. We went inside during the day. I'm not going inside. Wait, you scared? We don't even know what we're like. I'm not going inside. Right. And Josh is like accidentally dropping things and making noises. And I'm Which like, Which was guys. hilarious. I actually laughed so loud. <laughs> he like gets Barbara to go in with the flashlight. And she's so scared. And he drops the flashlight. I screamed. She screamed. Everybody yeah, screams. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Sorry. I dropped the light. I dropped the light. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think that was all pretty staged? Yes. It felt very staged It did feel very staged. You have to go at 2 in the morning. Why don't you go at 2 in the afternoon where you can see everything and actually get some details? And then you hear something and then it turns out to be kids. Oh my God. That was fucking fake. So why are you here tonight? You hear stories. You just want to see what it's about, I guess. What do you guys expect to find out here? People who died here are supposed to be the ghosts. 
Yeah. Oh, these kids. These kids were like right out of central casting. (laughs) Central Staten Island casting of just these kids. And they're like, oh, yeah, Cropsy. My mom. I just went a little Boston there. (laughs) Give us more. more. (laughs) No, my mother told me about that. That girl was slow, right? And they were like, children, please. And they just yeah. like wanted to be scared. And, you know, they were like, what are you going to do? So as we're getting to the end of the Holly Ann Hughes tr- trial, which is like sprinkled throughout the whole movie, the cops, what do they do? So remember our two cops from the beginning yeah. on the porch with the, the girly green bike? Yeah. Those guys, they um, take because the, the whole thing is that he's up for parole for Jennifer's kidnapping. So yeah. the, the prosecution really wants to get this rolling so that he is not up for parole. Which is interesting to me because it's like if you're on trial for something else, you could still get out of. Anyway. Yeah. So they take him to a hotel room and they play him the absolutely horrifying Geraldo expose. He's like, oh, I want to see that. I used to work there. I said, Andre, look, we got this tape of Woolabrook. Remember you used to work with Woolabrook? Oh, yeah, it was terrible. I said, remember Geraldo Rivera did the expose? He said, yeah, but I never saw it. But we have it. Would you like to come up and see Because we have a VCR up there. And he said, you know, I'd really like that. So what happens is that he has a very, very visceral reaction to yeah. this. He just sat there and his eyes like rolled and he just started drooling in the hotel room. Then he just started to rock. He was that way that whole night, the whole next day. He didn't start talking to people until two or three days later. You see him in the video. Mm-hmm. He's like in the fetal position on the ground. He's it's, in the video. The whole thing is horrifying. Yeah. And he didn't say a word. He's just started rocking. He really like regressed and just his whole body and brain just shut down like, nope, 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 yeah. nope. And the cop said he stayed like that for like two or three days. Yeah, he's not emotionally stable. He's not. And then it's, you know, you've, you're like, shit, man. Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, to just to live with that. And, and throughout, he's saying like, I had nothing to do with this. I'm a, basically a patsy. Like they're they're putting this on me. So in the end, when they get to like the final day of the trial, he doesn't take the stand, which mm-hmm. look, we said before, ne- nobody ever does. Right. Except for Pam Smart. Right. And then there's like a weekend where they go. They're like, well, they're not. We're not going to get the verdict until like Monday. So we've got a little bit more time to go talk to one more person. And they track down the pastor of this church that that Andre was a member of when he was first taken in. Mm-hmm. to custody right. for Jennifer's kidnapping slash murder. Right. And they find the pastor who like, we got a, a story from the pastor. Yeah, this is a hell of a story. Yeah. So he was, the pastor was putting him up. Andre Rand was living with him so that the police could ha- run surveillance and they knew like where Andre Rand was going to be. And they bugged the house and the pastor was in on it. And so to the community, it looked like he was defending or right. taking care of Andre Rand when really he was just complying with the police. And we get the bombshell revelation here. Josh says to him, like, do you think that he did it? And what did he say? Oh, yeah, because he told me. <laughs> and you're like, whoa. Yeah. Why do you believe he took Jennifer? He told me. He told me he took her. He, he took her because uh, he thought that she was, uh, that her family didn't want her and that, uh, and that she, she was alone. And uh, he felt that, uh, that people that had mental handicaps and that shouldn't be alive. I gotta say this is the first piece of compelling evidence because this person has no reason to lie in fact he's trying to maintain a low profile this pastor yeah. so saying a bombshell like that is only going to raise his profile so mm-hmm. he's got no reason to lie about that again can you trust the confession of a com- clearly mentally unstable person 
That's not for me to decide. Yeah. And even Andre's sister, because they track her down, too. Oh, my God. That was amazing when they found her. And so she was she like. She does not sign the waiver, by the way. No, she, no. Her face is blurred for Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me. We're doing a documentary, and we wanted to speak to you uh, about, I think it's your brother, Andre Rand. The only contact I ever had with him is when he needed something from me. Right. I don't know anything about his life, whether he's done it or he hasn't done it. And she's like, can I just say something? <laughs> You know he's manipulating the shit out yeah. of the two of you, yeah. right? With yeah. these letters, yeah. just so you know. Can I tell you something, my personal opinion? Mm. I yeah. think you're both being manipulated by right? you. Because he had finally agreed to see them to like do an interview, and they drive all the way up there, and he's like, "Nah, changed my mind." Yeah, he would do that with the police too. Turns out he did that with the cops. Yeah, yeah. And, and she, the sister, also says like, you know, Andre and these letters about how horrible their upbringing was and all this abuse, and the sister's like, none of that happened. Yeah, that's not the case. Was our mother emotion super emotionally stable? Probably not. Yeah, but she wasn't a bad mother, and this abuse is just like it's just all for show. And he's crazy. So in the end, he gets convicted and he gets another like 28 year sentence or whatever. And they're like, well, he's going to die in jail. That's that's all they wanted was to make it so that he would die in jail. What the conviction today does is assure us that Andre Rand will die in prison. Andre Rand was sentenced 25 years to life for the kidnapping of Holly Ann Hughes. He will be eligible for parole in 2037. He will be 93 years old. you guys okay couple things we have surpassed our goal of 200 reviews on itunes yay you guys here's my secret i really want to get to 500 your goals are awesome i, know, I love off it the, off the chart i really want to get to 500 so you guys it takes two seconds if you haven't reviewed us yet on, on itunes or apple podcasts just go do it and um and i love you so much yeah and even if you hate us don't hold back oh let us know <laughs> yeah. somebody thinks that julian shouldn't be around kids and somebody else thinks that i'm super annoying yeah if you want to counteract those <laughs> please review us and if you want to agree do that too julian Pesavali, what is your twitter handle oh i'm at jillian with a g all spelled out like that you guys need to follow it because there's some major bombs there's some there's some news coming up down oh, the road boy. Uh, I am uh, at Patrick Hines. Uh, we are at True Crime Obsessed. No ED. No ED. And um, you can find our website at truecrimeobsessed.com. Yay. Um, okay, we just made a decision, a determination. Mm-hmm. What are we doing next time? There's something wrong with Aunt Diane. We, we actually tried to do this really early on. It was going to be like our second one. Yeah, and we stopped because... It's hard. It's a really tough documentary. And, you know, doing a documentary where a lot of kids die and, you know, the family's emotions are really raw because they're they're with this family, like, right after this tragedy happens. Um, we're going to we're going to do it. It might not be super funny, but we're going to do it. Yeah. You guys want it. You guys want it. So, so we're going to do it. We're going to do it. You guys, our outtakes <laughs> this week are hilarious. So check yeah. them out. Can we watch New York one before I go? Yes. Robotory. Woo. 911. We're going to have to live with that. There will never be a concrete answer with absolute certainty which can be given as to what happened. The 
This is where two things of significant importance happen. Yes. Roma Tori is in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, she if you sure don't is. live in New York City, Roma Tori is a, is a reporter for New York One. It's like our local news station. She does the news, and then on the weekends, she does a show called On Stage where she reviews all of the theater. I'm obsessed with Roma Tori for a couple reasons. Because okay. when they do the Tony Awards, they do like the air quotes red carpet because the Tony Awards doesn't get like an Oscars like no. pre-show yeah. but you can watch it on New York One totally so it's always like Roma and she's always <laughs> on the red carpet and she knows like two thirds of the actors names but she always gets somebody's name wrong or like says that they were nominated for like a, something that they were not even in the show I love Roma Tori she's such a mess I love her wardrobe she loves a good pantsuit costume jewelry now, the other thing that happens. Oh, my God. Sue Simmons. Sue Simmons is Sue. in this as well. Sue Simmons was a, an anchor in New York for like 30 years, right before she left. It's perfect. She, <laughs> she had a scandal where she did like one of those little teasers. It's so not a scandal. <laughs> I remember when it happened. It was, it was a fiasco. The- <laughs> it was like, anyway. Go it was on the front page of the paper. And she, <laughs> she, she like said her little teaser and then she swore at her anchor, her co-anchor because but, she thought it was, she was hot mic'd and she thought she was off the air. But what was she doing? So you're going to play it, right? Oh yeah, of course. At 11 pay more at the grocer, but getting less will tell you how to get the most. The fuck are you doing? She goes from zero to a million. <laughs> and what could he possibly have been doing that made well, her like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Or whatever There's she said. a New York Times article about it. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> apparently was so annoyed because he was always looking at his laptop screen. So apparently this was like a thing between the two of them okay. for like a decade. And she swears at him. No, Jillian. She stops on a dime, too. It's so quick the way she just turns like from news. Like, we'll be right back at, at the top of the hour. What the fuck are you doing? Like the same breath. It's amazing. Now, does she apologize or does she not apologize? Oh, she apologizes. <laughs> She sure does. <laughs> I'm going to rip my hair out. It's so funny. Okay. Tell the people, because your reaction to her apology is just like the shit this podcast is made of. I don't know why you feel that way, but the thing about her apology, and we'll play it now. We need to acknowledge an unfortunate mistake that I made and one of the teases we bring to you before this program. While we were live, just after 10 o'clock, I said a word that many people find offensive. I'm truly sorry. It was a mistake on my part, and I sincerely apologize. Well, I she has such perfect timing in the apology where she's like, now we need to address something unfortunate that happened. And that beat, for some reason, it's perfect. She hates it. She resents that she has to do it. Why aren't we talking about his fucking laptop and how annoying he is? Why am I forced... And it's like right when they come back from commercial and she's like, well, um, he's nowhere to be seen, by the way. No, it's it's a, it's a, a medium shot just on her. And you know that if her mic was on after they cut again, she had, she would have had other things to apologize for. Let's just say that. This is going to be the longest outtake section ever. 